0: So you're probably wondering who these friends are up here. Um, My name is John Ciccarelli. I currently serve as Ministerial Director in Southeastern California Conference. And next to me is Patty Marufo, who serves as Executive Secretary, uh, who is one of our officers at uh, Southeastern California Conference. And you can't see her, but she's up here with us, Angela Lee, who is the uh, Associate Director for Adventist Chaplaincy Ministries for the North American Division. She was with us for first service, but couldn't be with us for the following services. But let me just share with you what we're doing here today. there are certain territories in the North American division, uh, conferences and unions, who at this point uh, commission women in ministry, but are not ordaining women in a ministry at this point. But here in the Pacific Union Conference, and specifically in our territory, the Southeastern California Conference of Seventh-day Adventists, we do ordain women, and so, yeah. So um, it came to our attention that uh, Karen, was commissioned in another conference that doesn't ordain women. And so we recognize that as ordination. And so we wanna recognize her commissioning as an ordination today. So we wanna invite Karen to come on up here, if she would. When we heard that we had uh, a female pastor in our conference, who had been commissioned? We said, "Well, she's ordained in our conference." So we uh, we're glad we found out, Karen, and we are glad and honored that we get to uh, get to provide this for you. And I'm going to turn it over to our executive secretary, Patty, at this time.
1: So, Karen, today is a very special and significant day. Today we are celebrating. We are affirming and acknowledging the the call that God has placed on your heart and the way that is reflected in your ministry as chaplain and your ministry here at Crosswalk with your community of faith. And the way we do that is to say that the Pacific Union Conference, together with the North American Division, and Southeastern California Conference today, we acknowledge and affirm your calling. And the way we do that is by issuing you a certificate of ordination. And so today, it's a beautiful document, and this certificate Of ordination says Karen Graves, having given satisfactory evidence of her call to and having accepted the sacred work of the gospel ministry, was ordained by Southeastern California Conference of Seventh-day Adventists on June 3, 2023 in Redlands, California. And here we have signed, the officers of the conference have signed, and so have all of your pastoral colleagues here at Crosswalk. And Karen, we just want to say that you matter. We see you, we love you, you're important, and we wanna pray over you so we would like to, along with the flowers uh, that we have for you today, we would like to invite your beautiful family to join us here on stage, and also the pastors who serve with you here at Crosswalk to come up so that we can pray a special prayer of blessing over you, as we now can call you Elder Karen Graves. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful and overjoyed today for the ways that you have shown up in Karen's life and her ministry, Father. We just pray that you would continue to bless her, that you would keep her in the safety of your love. And as she continues to work here at this place and honor you, Lord, we just pray that your Holy Spirit would always be with her, that she would know that she does not do this alone, and may you be with her beautiful family today and always, God, and with this congregation as well as a journey together to worship and serve you, Father. Thank you so much for her life and for Karen's ministry, we pray in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Amen.
2: Amen. Amen. Morning, everybody. Good morning, morning. Good to see you. Um, And congratulations, Elder Graves. (laughs) I'm so grateful to work for a conference in a territory that um, acknowledges the call and effectiveness of ministry to anyone who is called to the gospel ministry, regardless of gender. So thank you for that. Um, Southeastern California Conference. Let's give them a hand just for believing in that. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, We've got um, some guests here today. We've got some people from our church in New England who are here for a little bit of training and that sort of thing, and some people from L.A. It's just really cool as we continue to build this global ministry and see what God is doing. So, um, So yeah, thanks for being here yourselves. I know there's lots of graduations and things happening, and I know it's like the nicest day today, isn't it? Like, I don't know what's been going on with our weather. You know, there's June gloom, but it's just been cold. And like, as Californians, when May hits, if it stays cold, we don't know. Like, we think we live in Seattle. Um, so, anyway, we're in our fourth week of this series on deconstruction called Elemental. And last week we talked about revelation and inspiration, right? We, it's a question of how we understand how God reveals himself, inspires others to, to write or explain what it is that God has revealed to them, and how we get it. And um, thanks for going on on this journey. I know there's a, a, a lot going on because, you know, these concepts of deconstruction and how we understand things and the theological underpinnings of revelation and inspiration like it's it's a lot and um, you may be wondering like why are you making this so complicated man Uh, just like this is this is easy right my faith says this God said it and I believe it and that settles it and that's great Um, isn't it that's so beautiful another term that we use we use this one a lot we like this one if you just have a plain reading of scripture right? Just a plain reading of scripture, which is beautiful. And that's great. And we all do that. And that's why there's 33,000 denominations in North America alone. (laughs) You know that. That's for real. There's 33,000 denominations. Now, just to be clear, some of those denominations have like 12 people in them, which means they're pretty much just somebody's family who wants a tax write-off, it feels like. But a plain reading of scripture has led us to I wouldn't say confusion. That's not the word, because I don't think we all think we're confused. I think it has led us to a great many different interpretations of Scripture, right? And why is that? Well, <clears throat> it's pretty simple. When you read Scripture, there's a couple things involved. One is Scripture, and the other one is you. That's obvious, right? But here's the thing. You're you're complicated. You're complex. Like you got stuff. Some of you have this like wonderful theological background and you bring that to it. Right? Some of you have deep trauma and abuse, you bring that to it. Some of you have um, biases that you bring to it. Some of you have naivete that you bring to it. Some of you have hopes and dreams that you bring to it, and you read that into the text, right? Um, We've talked about this before, but the truth is we all, even in a plain reading of Scripture, we all actually interpret the text. And I love it when somebody says, I don't interpret the text, I just read it, and I'm like, that's a lie. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I don't say that, but I think it. Right, and this is the illustration that I've used before to kind of make the point. I think you understand it, right? There's one thing that we can all read—a plain reading of a stop sign. Right? We all know that that's one thing, correct? And I, like I said, I've used this illustration before. At three o'clock in the afternoon, when there's a law enforcement on the other side of the of the intersection, a plain reading of a stop sign means stop and count to three, four, five, six, depending on how nervous you actually are about getting a ticket. If you show up to that same, same stop sign at 3 o'clock in the morning, what does that stop sign mean? Maybe something a little different. <laughs> Maybe, right? So you can't just say a plain reading of Scripture. Scripture is really complicated. So it sounds like I'm saying you can't read Scripture. No, of course not. Of course that's not what I'm saying. In fact, you can and you should. And in fact, this is one of the reasons why we do our series guide so you can be engaged in Scripture all the time. Right? We should also not just be committed to reading Scripture, but we should also be committed to studying Scripture beyond the simple reading. I mean, how can you know context? How can you know commentary, history, cultural context without a deeper study of Scripture and its surrounding resources? Scripture did not happen in a vacuum. It actually happened in the midst of culture and history and geography, and all these things are important. Right? And so we need to be engaged in that kind of study of Scripture because the truth is this the study of Scripture is a sacred journey. So, yes, read and study, but also know who and where you are because what you bring to the table, your faith development, we can say, how you think about faith. Whether you think about it as explicit or um, external, I should say, as something that you put on, that's somebody else's, somebody else's jacket, or how it's internally deep within you, an intrinsic faith, or where you are even on a faith development scale. Because the truth is your faith development, how you think about faith, how you are mature in faith, impacts how you read Scripture and what you um, interpret Scripture to be. And by the way, this is going to sound a little bit more like a lecture at first. So stick with me. If you want to take notes, that's fine too. Don't you hate it when pastors say that? Like, I'm not going to take notes. It's Sabbath, man. This is a day for rest. Take notes. Um, So anyway, your faith development, where you are on a faith scale actually makes a difference. And you're like, hey, what's a faith scale? Well, here's some. Yeah, that's too much. Um, That's not fair, right? You've got, listen, you've got William Blake, innocence, experience, higher experience. Soren Kierkegaard, aesthetic, ethical, religious. William Perry, James Fowler. Fowler's kind of the big one in contemporary Christianity. Um, Primal, mythical, literal, synthetic. That sounds good. Synthetic, conventional, individual, reflective, conjunctive, that just sounds like you're sick. (laughs) I have a conjunctive faith in my eye. I need to go get drops for it. Like, that's not okay. James Kohlberg, um, right? Ken Blanchard, Paul Rickauer, Graves, Beck, and Wilbur. I'd never heard of them until I put that on the slide, just for the record. Richard Rohr, I like his first half, second half. But if you know Richard Rohr and you read his stuff, he's always just like, "Mm -hmm." it's all, it's all good. It's all okay. I'm always like, oh, I'll take a nap now. Um, So so that's a lot. That's a lot. And by the way, there's even one, Bailey Gillespie. My father, in his doctoral dissertation, wrote on Fowler's stages of faith and kind of created his own stages of faith. So there's a lot out there. Um, Maybe we should ask the question, which one is right? But it's the wrong question. Right, um, it's they all comment on the human condition. They all comment on how we walk through this faith journey. Some more specifically, some less so. Richard Rohr, obviously. So the one I'm going to talk about today is actually I didn't put it on the list. It's actually Brian McLaren's um, Four Stages of Faith. Now some people may love Brian McLaren. Some people may not like him. He's a bit of a postmodern author. Um, here's the beautiful thing about um, reading and your brain: you don't have to accept everything that every author says. Well, let me make a a little parenthetical point here. Um, When you read a book and you disagree with someone, rather than like ban it, you can go, I don't agree. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) That's super easy. (laughs) You go, no, I don't like that part. No, but I like this part. Yes, right? Let's not get crazy. You with me? Okay, I think as human beings, we should just recognize that. But it's a, the, we're in this process of deconstruction. We're talking about it, right? And one of the things that we've acknowledged is that we live both with faith and doubt. Maybe there's a question about what is faith after doubt. And I really like McLaren's Stages because they talk about faith after doubt. Because remember, doubt is not the killer of faith. In fact, I love what Frederick Buchner says about doubt. He says, doubts are the ants in the pants of faith right? They keep us awake and moving. Isn't that beautiful? I don't know if it's beautiful. That's not the right word, but it's fun. That's a fun quote. All right, so so McLaren gives us four stages of faith development. We're going to go through those relatively quickly and then talk about the impact of how this impacts our understanding of Scripture, our interpretation of Scripture, and what it means to be a person of faith. So the first one is great. It's very simple. It's called simplicity. Um, So stage one, it's a simple faith. And in this, you are either for us or against us, right? It's very black and white. All or nothing. We have a tendency to focus on right or wrong, good or bad. It's very kind of dualistic in its understanding. Right? It's us versus the world. Really, it's us versus everyone. Have you ever met somebody who's like that? Somebody who's like my tribe and everybody else is evil. Which, by the way, when we have a simplistic faith like that, we have a tendency to dehumanize the people who don't believe like us. Because if you don't believe like us and we're good, what are you? Bad. That's the only other option, right? And so we can treat you as less than rather than equal to Right? Authority becomes really important. There are answers. And by the way, those answers are easy and they come from the authority because the authority are God's representation on earth. They know the answers and they give the answers to us. So in a simplistic or a simplicity stage of faith development, it's really important for us to do what our authorities say. Right, which obviously can lead to some sort of abuse at times. Or, you know, if the authorities are great, it can lead to good things too. If we're going to answer the question, God is what? We would say God is really the ultimate authority figure or the ultimate friend. The key moral question in this stage of development is what do our authorities say? Right? This is why when you ask the question, what do we believe about so that you don't have to study for yourself. It's really, you're in that simplistic stage of faith saying, what do we believe? Okay, that's good, all right, I guess I believe that because I'm a part of this group, right? There's strength and weaknesses, by the way, to every single one of these stages of development. The first, you know, some of the strengths are that these people are highly committed, right? They're willing to sacrifice and suffer for their faith, for their tribe, for their authority. Super great, that's awesome. Also, as a weakness, they are also willing to kill or inflict suffering for their authority or for their faith. Right? Often it comes across as arrogant, simplistic, obviously combative, sometimes judgmental, and even intolerant. And just for the record, we've almost all been here at some point in our life. At some point in our faith journey, we have felt like this. And we've had to either stay there or grow there. And this is the hard part, right? First of all, these stages of faith development are not necessarily one, two, three, four. They're not necessarily linear. They certainly overlap significantly. And it's easy to get stuck in any of the stages, right? Because think about it. Think about being 14 years old and you are told from an authority figure, this is the way faith is, this is what is. And then that authority figure abuses you. Do you think you're moving to another faith stage? No, you're just really confused where you are. So, you know, this is pretty complicated. But next stage, right? The next stage is called complexity. And this is focusing on what's kind of effective or ineffective. I remember the first time I kind of encountered this. I went to my dad and I said, hey, dad, I'm reading this text and I'm wondering what this means. And he goes, well, some people think it means this. Some people think it means that. And I was like, what? What? He's like, yeah, some people think it means this, some people mean that. The Greek's a little unclear, so it could be this, it could be that. I was like, oh, which one? And he's like, "Uh, I don't know. And if you knew my father, he didn't really say I don't know often or ever. So I was like, what do you mean you don't know? And he's like, yeah, it could go either way. I'm not really sure which one. I may like this one a little bit better. I'm like, so that's right? He's like, I don't know. Stop that stop that kind of dualistic thinking. And I'm like, I don't know what dualistic means. I'm 13. We didn't have that part of the discussion, but that's, that's really, and I, I was like, oh, this is a little bit complex, right? And he's like, this one works a little bit better probably. Oh, huh, effectiveness. This one works a little bit better, right? So that goal, your goal kind of becomes effectiveness. Often complexity, you have a tendency to lean towards the pragmatic, right? That anything is doable, but there are many ways to reach that goal. Authority comes from those who are kind of doing it. And, and the bad ones are the ones that don't really do the right thing. And so it doesn't really, it's not really effective, right? What we think about in complexity, we think about coaches as being, our authorities more as being coaches as they help you succeed and grow. In some ways, life is kind of a game. Learn the rules, play to win. Identity, is the cause that you're connected to or the achievement that you're connected to. Relationships have a tendency to become increasingly independent. While in simplicity, most of your relationships are dependent or codependent. If we were going to ask the question, God is, we would say God is the ultimate guide or coach. The key moral question becomes in this stage of development, does it help me succeed? Does it help me grow? Is it effective. Strengths and weaknesses, because we have them in each one of our faith development stages. First of all, a strength is enthusiasm, idealism, even an action. You're going to make something happen. A a weakness is that it could be a bit superficial, sometimes a little naive, and sometimes it can be overly pragmatic, right? We just want to make something happen. So that, that you've got simplicity, and then you've got complexity, And then you've got a third stage in this four stages of faith development, and this one is perplexity, right? Everyone has an opinion in stage three, right? And who knows who is right? There's many people here, and we have a tendency to stop trying in this phase, right? And and this sounds very postmodern, if you will, this idea that, well, everybody's got an opinion, and in fact, you probably shouldn't tell anybody your opinion or enforce your opinion on anybody else, Right? The focus becomes on whether or not you're really being honest or whether you're being dishonest, authentic or inauthentic. The motivation becomes being honest as the highest, you know, protocol, highest value. Perception is that it can be kind of relativistic or even kind of critical, Beliefs kind of end up being, well, we don't really know much. Nothing is really known and maybe nothing's knowable, kind of the epistemological question we've talked about before. Everybody has an opinion. Good people are honest about their questions. Bad people just, you know, have a tendency to use other people. Authorities are controllers or the enemy trying to impose easy answers on the naive. And they often try to use the naive for their own means. If we were going to ask the God is question, God is a mythical authority. I have either outgrown, quite honestly, or a mysterious reality that I'm seeking, or even the opiate of the masses that are stuck in simplicity. So you've got some strengths and weaknesses in this faith stage as well, right? Depth is a strength. Honesty is a strength. Sensitivity to suffering, even ironic humor. These are all strengths. Weaknesses is that it can be cynical, uncommitted, sometimes withdrawn, critical, and can be elitist. We all have that friend who left faith and thinks you're stupid for staying in it, right? I have a bunch of those friends, and I'm a pastor, so they really like to talk to me about it all the time. (laughs) They're like, I don't believe anymore. I'm like, great, and they're like, let me tell you why. I'm like, I know, because you've told me. And he's like, you still believe that stuff? I'm like, yeah. And he's like, huh. I don't. I'm like, again, I know. past the ketchup. I'd like to put some on my French fries. They're <laughs> like, well, you know, when I, it's just, it's, it's a little exhausting. I love them. I love my friends. Um, so that's the third stage, right? And, and this is a stage where people quit because they're like, ah, oh, there's no answers and nothing. to no, know. they quit. Perplexity. But then there's a stage that's beautiful that if we can get to, we can really learn something. And McLaren stages it as harmony, right? And in harmony, you recognize all those other stages. You realize that there's a complexity that we have to think about, that, that we love the simplicity, but we know we have to kind of live beyond that at some point, that we understand that even in the perplexity, there's some unknowable things. But we land in a place where we say, okay, at least I can seek first the kingdom of God. I can know that I should love God and love my neighbors. I can recognize that we can find some unity in the essentials, but it's really important for us to figure out what those essentials, what those elemental things are. This is why it's appropriate for us to be in a series about deconstruction so we can figure out what those elemental pieces of our faith are and be in unity for those. The focus becomes not on good and bad nearly as much as what is wise or unwise. I think, I think that Paul sometimes lived in this state of harmony. Not all the time, because Paul got rankled quite often, but I think he lived in this place because he recognized and he said things like all things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. He began to go, hey, I'm living a little bit bigger than just a yes or no, just a recipe or a checklist. All things are permissible, but maybe I shouldn't be doing all things right? The motivation becomes to serve, to contribute, to make a difference. The perception of the world is that, man, it's super different, it's integrated, and we need to be sympathetic about where each one of us might be. The beliefs, we recognize that there are some things that are known, and there's many things that are mysteries, and that life is a quest of discovery. Oh, and one of the things we learn in Harmony is that there's no us or them. There's just God And all of us trying to figure out what he is and who he is and how he loves us. And that means we give grace to one another in ways that we might not before, even if they're not from our tribe or our group. Because they're searching in honest ways just as we are. Authorities cease to become God's representative on earth necessarily. Or just people who are abusing and we recognize they're just people like me. Imperfect, sometimes doing their best, sometimes doing less than their best. And being less than honest, sometimes even misguided, but still contributing to the body of knowledge as we seek to find out who God is. If we're going to ask that God is question, God is knowable in part, mysterious as well, present and transcendent, just yet merciful, able to hold. We become able to hold truth's intention. The paradoxical understanding that we have is this basis of Christianity. I give my life and I receive my life. Through death came life. It's this holding intention of these truths, right? The strengths and weaknesses of this is that we may exhibit the previous stage strengths plus stability, endurance, wisdom, Weaknesses is that we may display some of the weaknesses of the earliest stages as well. And here's what's fascinating. When you move into the harmony as a stage of your faith development, when that faith that you wore like a robe now becomes internalized and it's yours, it's an intrinsic faith as opposed to an extrinsic faith. And you become comfortable knowing, I don't always know, but that's okay. I still will always seek. We recognize that harmony becomes the new simplicity which, by the way, encounters complexity, which sometimes enters into a new perplexity, eventually one becomes less aware of the stages that we're in and the struggle and more aware of the learning that we have and the life that we lead and the love that we are asked to give. And all of these stages have a tendency to impact the way we understand our faith journey and Scripture. This is why... We put this conversation in the midst of deconstruction. And I also believe one other thing. I believe that Jesus deconstructed, but he deconstructed from a place of harmony. Now, people don't always like this, right? Because A, deconstruction seems like kind of a, uh, you know, breaking down your faith. And remember, deconstruction and deconversion are very different things. Right? And deconstruction does not always lead to deconversion. So there are some people who, when you say Jesus deconstructed, they really have an issue with it. No, he didn't. Well, I would argue, yes, he did. You want to know where? In a piece of scripture that you know super, super well. Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, is a lesson in de- and reconstruction, and it happens almost simultaneously. Right? He says this, You've heard it said, You've heard that our, what our ancestors were told. You must not commit murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. By the way, this next part, we have a tendency to forget. We like really focus in on the murder part. This next part's important too. In fact, we're going to have more opportunity to do this next part than that first part. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. Let's not forget that part. That would make us super, in fact, that might make us better people than the murder part. Listen, don't murder, but also don't call people idiots, right? And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Wow. We're familiar with these texts, but in one fell swoop, Jesus deconstructed an old understanding and gave it new life and understanding. It's much broader. It's much more inclusive. And the onus rests on us rather than the law what he's done is he's redefined our relationship with sin, right? And he did it with a simple phrase: "You heard it said, but I say, remember, if truth is a person, then the words that that person says makes a difference. Jesus redefines our understanding of sin, of the law, and of what supersedes the law. We see... Conscience coming into play. We see Holy Spirit leading and a deeper understanding of what it means to love God and love one another all through Jesus saying, you've heard it said, but I say. You know what a harmonious faith sounds like when you're talking to somebody in a different stage? It sounds like this. I used to believe, but then I learned And now I think. Could you imagine if we could say that to each other? I used to believe this way. But then I learned. And now I believe. It shows growth. It shows learning. It, It makes us understand that you know, our developmental stage impacts our understanding of the words that God says and we are learning through it. And, and here's the thing. If you're just looking for authority in Scripture, you'll find it. If if you're just looking for the complexity, you'll find that too. If you're looking to be confused, yep, you'll be confused. If you're looking for the greatest love, yeah, that's there. You see, and this is really important when it comes to us understanding scripture and understanding ourselves. Every faith journey includes the person on the road. This is why we don't just lean into statements of belief or doctrines to do our believing or our understanding for us, because we're a part of this, right? Our understanding of faith, our understanding of God is not a disembodied philosophical idea. It is incarnate. It is the way we live and breathe and laugh and play and pray and live our lives. The ears that hear these words have a brain in between them. So we matter to the understanding of scripture as well. So it's deeply important that we understand our own faith journey and where we are and what stunts us. Because, A, we can't expect everybody to be at the same place. Nothing in life works that way. Why would faith work that way? Number two, some of us have been through Incredible pain and trauma and we have to work through that to even get to the words of scripture to even understand what God is trying to tell us to even know what love might well could be so we have to ask the question how well do you know your own faith journey and where you are and I mean it's not about, you know, picking a stage on a scale. It's about being self-aware of what you bring to this journey, who you are, how you process, where you're hurt, where you find joy, and how you can interpret these words. It's all really important. And I got to tell you, the place to do that, I believe, is church. Church. And I want this church to be safe. And when I say this church, I mean all of our crosswalk churches to be a place where you can walk in and go, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm not sure where I belong. I'm not sure how to move on. I feel like I'm stuck in this stage or this place and I can't learn more and I can't grow. I don't know if I can care about all this other stuff. I don't even know if I believe all this other stuff. What is it I'm supposed to believe? Where can I find that? What's elemental to my faith? That's what a church has to be a safe place to talk about. We have to be a group of people who are always giving incredible grace to one another as we learn together. Because as we learn together, we grow together. But you understand that the only way a church is a safe place is if you decide it will be a safe place. I can talk about it, I can declare it, I can promise it, but at the end of the day, it's the interactions that you decide to have with the people around you that are in your community that make it a safe place or not. So my plea to you today is simply this, be the safest person that any of your friends or any of your family know for them to question where they are with God. Walk with them on that journey and get used to saying the words I used to believe but then I learned and now I think so that you can engage people and bring them along on the journey that you have already been set upon. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, create safe places within us. Give us a, a, a faith that is full of harmony. Seeking what we can know. Understanding there's things we might not know. Being able to learn and grow. Teach us. Let us teach one another. Lord, let us have vigorous conversations about what we think to be true. Reveal to us who you are through scripture, through worship, through community, through coffee, through all of it, Lord. But Lord, make this a safe place and make us safe people because I'm pretty sure the world needs more of that, not less of it right now. And Lord, as we continue to deconstruct and think about what is elemental to our faith, make it clear, knowing that it begins and certainly ends with you. We love you, Lord. And in your name we pray, amen. Stand and worship with us one more time.